This is VLX number 84, The Logos of the Kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, Ifidit, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Ifidit, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so if you remember, the parable of the sower was VLX 82, which was two episodes ago, but now we return to it again, sandwiching that section in VLX 83. That was on Isaiah 6, and that was why Christ speaks in parables. But today, Christ explains the parable of the sower. It's Christ now who explains the parable of the sower. So we should listen closely because this is about how to have that little faith that we have shoot ourselves into heaven like a plant shooting itself. But it's really that important for salvation. So again, VLX 82 and 84 today are both about the parable of the sower. But Christ explains it today, and we're going to have a little help from the Holy Fathers, the Church Fathers. Now, one of the things to keep on the back burner at all times is that line, as we go through today in Matthew, is a line from John, John chapter 12, verses 24 to 25. Our Lord says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Okay, now think about what that means. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, we all know Tertullian, I think it was Tertullian, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But today, this is a most perfect analogy in all of nature because it's not just spiritual like Tertullian saying. It's actually physical proof that there's something out there in nature, even before Jesus died, that reproduces precisely by dying. Now, of course, the, the cross, and anyone but participates in it, we see this is why there's 2 billion Christians on the planet now, is because of the blood of the martyrs, but primarily because of Christ dying. Now, of course, let's talk nature real quick. There are some other examples in nature, like there's a certain octopus that has to die under a rock to give birth to its offspring. I saw that on, on a nature show once. Very beautiful. But I think often of this line from John 12, unless... A grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Why is that so important today? Well, because today we're not really talking about Christ crucified, but if we remember John 12, this does bring us to realize all of this has to be consummated in sacrificial love. It shows that if we want to reproduce as Christians, we have to die. And so that shows that today's whole thing about the parable of the sower, which again can seem kind of milk toast to people, is very intimately linked to Christ on the cross. And it's directly linked to reproducing as a Christian. The dying grain is supernatural charity. 
Uh, but we learned from Lapidae already that planting this grain is supernatural faith. So it's obvious right there. Faith has to be before, chronologically before charity. So you have to have the grain of the gospel for, before you die as a martyr, obviously. This has to be nourished through meditation before we're normally ready to die. I know things are so hard on so many of us. We just hope, like I pray at the abortion center every Wednesday, kind of just hope for the easy bolt to the head there or something like that. But, you know, that dying grain um, of martyrdom, that's normally a crown for an already holy life. It's not this get out of jail free card because you can't cut it on this earth. I wish it were. I'm very tired like all of you. Now, actually, there are a few exceptions. Um, there was a St. Mark born, raised, and killed in China, um, and he couldn't beat his narcotic addiction right at the end of the 19th century. And after numerous failed attempts at confession, having firm resolution of amendment, he finally admitted to the priest he didn't have that. The priest agreed with him it wasn't good to go to... Not only was he supposed to refrain from Holy Communion, but even refrain from confession because he, he really didn't have firm resolution of amendment. Well, get this. Amazingly, God saved him. He's a canonized saint. He saved him by the gift of martyrdom at the Boxer Rebellion around 1900 in China, even before he could kick his narcotic addiction. Not kidding. True story. It's St. Mark. Now, don't bank on that if you have an addiction. In fact, pray to St. Mark G. His name is St. Mark G. Chancheng. Chancheng. Pray to him if you have an addiction. And what I'll do is I will link the sermon about him by Father Phil Wolf of the Fraternity of St. Peter here in the show notes today. It's only got 5,000 views on Census Fidelium, and I, Father Wolf gets teared up listening or speaking it. You'll probably get teared up listening to it because it's just such a tremendous story that he was beheaded and insisted he go last to be there for his whole family who was also martyred for being Christian. St. Mark G. Chang and it's called Hope for Addicts, which I will link in the show notes. Such a beautiful story. Um, but he, even he had supernatural faith enough to carry him into the final act of per- perfect love, of course. He just couldn't, I shouldn't say even him. He had great faith. He just couldn't kick an addiction. Um, now, normally for heaven, we have to nourish our faith by preventing what St. John calls three things. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life which lines up today, as I said in a previous one, with the rocks and the thorns and the devil. Now, of course, the lust of the flesh includes sixth and ninth commandment sins, whereas the lust of the eyes is more, you know, that's the glamour of riches, as we're going to see. This is worry about money, and this is what chokes out supernatural life as these thorns. And then the birds on the path. Now, why would, why would that be things like pride of life. Well, because it's that which we can be arrogant about. Remember, Satan had no sins of the flesh or glamour to be attracted to, but he was spiritually very arrogant. So I think this is why we can line up pride of life with the devils that are the birds that try to eat up the grain on the way. Now, today in verse 19, Jesus says, everyone hearing the logon tes basileus, logon tes basileus, that's the Greek for Word of the kingdom. Now, as, as you many of you know, logos, that's one of everyone who just studied a tiny, tiny bit of Greek knows logos means eternal reason or eternal or eternal truth. So again, the Greek there, logon tes basileus, where basileus, of course, is kingdom. So there we have logos of the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Very, very strong and mystical at the same time. Logos of the kingdom, and that's the name of today's VLX 84. And now, why is this important? Now, there's a lot of people out there who, who look at like the parable of the sower today and say, well, it's just about love, not knowledge. 
Is that true? Well, yeah, it is true that at your particular judgment, you're going to be judged on how much you loved God and how much you loved your neighbor, not how much of, say, the Catechism of Trent you knew. That's true. But remember that today we see that the grain starts as faith before it grows into sacrificial love or charity. And how does Jesus say it grows? Ah, listen closely. Understanding. That's the word. That word is in there twice in today's little section, and you may have missed it. The word in Greek is sunietos. Sunietos, still verse 19 where we are, all hearing the, as I'm going to translate it, logos of the kingdom, all hearing the logos of the kingdom and not understanding, it's a participle there in Greek, not understanding the devil comes and rips away what was sown in his heart. Or in the ESV today, again, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Or the Dewey Rhymes Bible, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, there cometh the wicked one. It's always a little scary in the Dewey Rhymes Bible. Understand it not, there cometh the wicked one. Well, then what happens? The Dewey Rhymes says, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Okay, the Latin there for catcheth away is rapit, R-A-P-I-T in the Latin. And Latin, again, is just what Jerome translated from the Greek, the original Greek, to the Latin. And I just translated rapit as rips. And the Latin there for sown, that was actually seminatus. That's where we get seminary in English. So you put all this together and you can see that when you don't have the right understanding of the gospel... It's not enough to have a good will, just to have emotionally good thoughts to God. The devil still comes and rips away your own personal little seminatus, your personal little seminary, as important as you think your learning is. This is why on this section, on this, on this series, rather, we look to the Holy Fathers, the Church Fathers, not our own emotions on this stuff. We can think we're very loving people in the emotions, but if we don't have the right understanding, this is the, this is the gospel today, if we don't have the right understanding, the devil comes in rapid, rips this away from us. So we have to have the right understanding. And later in verse 23, we have this word too. Also, we have the word logos, that that which is sown in good or beautiful, the word is actually kalin in Greek, earth or soil. So think about that, beautiful soil. That which is sown in the beautiful soil, this is the one hearing the word and understands. That was verse 23 today. Notice that that word understands has to normally come before this glorious martyrdom. And by the way, St. Mark actually did understand the gospel while well, he just had that one foible he couldn't give up. So again, pray to him if you have addictions because we may not all get that grace. Um, now, why, again, is faith come before love? Well, martyrdom is associated with love. And this, this has to come from the heart more than the brain, of course. But here's the thing. Remember, the heart follows the brain. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that the will follows the intellect. So normally our brain has to be formed the right way for the heart to do the right thing, even all the way to the point of martyrdom. Truly divine and sacrificial charity there. And again, this is why we need the Holy Fathers, uh, say, more than new books or our emotions on this stuff, so that we can truly understand the Bible as God meant it, because the, the Fathers are the best friends of the Apostles, and the water is always cleanest and coolest next to the source. But let's see what the Church has always taught. Father Lapide teaches us this about spiritual reproduction. He says, just as a father and a mother cooperate in generating offspring, so too for the production of fruit there must be a meeting of earth and seed in such a way, however, that the earth draws from the seed all of its power to produce this or that kind of fruit. 
Similarly, for good works, there must be the concurrence of the word of God, which is both an external force and even more so an internal force, and of man's free will, which must cooperate with the word of God in such manner, however, that the will derives all its power of producing a spiritual, supernatural, and divine work from the word and grace of God in order that they may be pleasing unto God and may merit eternal life. This is taught by the Council of Trent, Session 6. In like manner, from free will, the fruit derives liberty, that is to say, the fact that it is a free work and not compulsory nor done of necessity. For the interior word which God speaks in the soul, stirring it up and strengthening it for acts of penance, patience, charity, religion is nothing else but the grace of God itself, illuminating the understanding and strengthening the affection or the will and inflaming it to the divine works of virtue. This interior word or grace God customarily adds to the external word of preaching, thus enlivening, so to speak, what would otherwise be without grace and inanimate, incapable, and powerless to perform such works. Therefore, what the preacher speaks outwardly in the ear, God must speak inwardly in the heart if it is to bear fruit. Now let's look at verses 20 and 21 today. Our Lord says, And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now that's an interesting term, no root in himself. He doesn't have hridzan and chauto. Hridzan and chauto is literally roots in himself. Now, you might hear that and say, well, that sounds a little bit new age. I thought we were supposed to be rooted in Christ. I want to tell you about the best advice I ever received. The last Novus Ordo parish I had, there was a couple African nuns coming through, and I was in campus ministers right before the beginning of a school year, right off a 30,000-person campus at a university parish here in Colorado. And these two African nuns, very, very joyful. Well, I guess they were technically sisters. Nuns are cloistered. And one of them said to me, Father, cast your nets deep this year. And I said, how do I do that? And she said, she looked at me and she smiled and she said, pray a lot and be yourself. And to this day, it's probably the best advice I've ever received. Now, here's why it is. I'm not just saying that because it's a cool story. I really believe that is, in some sense, the key to the spiritual life. And here's why. If you're just yourself, if you're true to yourself, but you're not praying a lot, that's just new age. That's just essentially you know, Frank Sinatra's song in hell. I did it my way. It leads to hell. If you're only, if you know, if you're only self-referential, that is truly diabolical narcissism. If you're just trying to be yourself and don't care about God or anybody else. On the other side of the coin, if you only pray a lot and you're not yourself, well, then you can kind of be, you're aiming towards divinization, but God can't really build that because there's no humanity. You're not even yourself. You're afraid to be yourself and you're a fake, you know? So put those two things together and you just have brilliant advice. Pray a lot and be yourself. Or I, you know, I guess the human side of that is be yourself and the divinization is pray a lot. Um, I really love that advice because it does show that even though we're primarily rooted in Christ, the second person in the Trinity, you got to be yourself. That's why I like this line. Hridzan and chiautu, root in yourself. So uh, that's beautiful as long as you understand it's, it's primarily rooted in Christ. Um, now, Many people have this retreat high, like I said VLX is two ago. They pray a lot and they have a retreat high and they endure for a while. But then we have to look at 
look at today's parable, this is really about what separates the boys from the men in Christianity. What separates the boys from the men in Christianity? Who's going to go from being a little seed to this strong tree in the garden of God? Well, it's not who knows more Greek words or even who's worked miracles or who can quote the saints the best. What is it? We just learned it. It's the Christians who persevere in keeping the faith with these two words happening to him. One, tribulation, and two, persecution. Again, that verse. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You want to be one of those people. Now, Strong's Dictionary defines that first word in Greek as thlipsis, and that is defined as a pressing, a pressing together, pressure, oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress, straits. And then that second word, diogmos. Diogmos is just one word there in the English and the definition on Strong's persecution. So put those two together and the two things that separate the boys from the men in Christianity and who's going to grow in the Christian life, those who keep the faith through pressure, oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress, and persecution is those who can stay strong rooted in themselves, rooted in Christ, through the distress and persecution. Let's talk a little bit about the thorns that choke out the spiritual life. These are the glamours of life, the worries of life, the riches that we want. You know, I picture like driving down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan during the day or Madison Avenue at night and just seeing all the glory of lights and riches and buildings. It's also glamorous that these are the thorns that choke out the gospel. And that's not because buildings or lights are bad, but because, because we are so easily distracted from our eternal goal with these things. Let's look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now that's an excellent translation from the ESV right there. And I bet you never thought that those two things can actually prevent you from entering heaven. Many of you out there are very worried about sixth and ninth commandment things and lying and stealing and you, and you should be. Those are things that Our Lady Fatima said would drag you to hell more frequently than the other ones, even though spiritual pride is worse. The sins of the flesh have led the most people to hell. But did you ever think that these two things could keep you from entering heaven, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches? Pope St. Gregory the Great says this in Lapide, The cares of the world choke because they strangle the throat of the mind with importunate thoughts, and because they will not suffer good desires to enter the heart, they, as it were, cut off the breath of life. And then St. Thomas Aquinas and the Catena. The Catena means the golden chain, which is essentially St. Thomas Aquinas' version of the Jesuit version that I read you here. St. Thomas Aquinas says, The good ground is the faithful conscience of the elect, or the mind of the saints, which receives the word of God with joy and desire and devotion of heart, and manfully keeps it in prosperity and adversity, and leads it on to the future, whence it follows and brings forth fruit, some at a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. That's St. Thomas Aquinas quoting Remedius. Now let's talk a little bit about the imaginative way. Now this is a little complex today, but remember, Jesus got in a boat to preach this whole section in Matthew 13, the last few VLXs. And it was a few VLXs ago that we saw Jesus first sit on the shore and then sit on the boat preaching to the crowds. But remember, he's certainly still on that boat 
even though we're a few VLXs later, or three or four, three or four weeks later, he's still in that boat off the shore of Galilee, which is where you are in the imaginative way of prayer. But today, you're actually going to get in the boat with Christ our Lord. So as you get in, remember that all the crowds are going to be at your back because you're getting in this boat. Maybe you're the one rowing, rowing him out. So picture being face to face with Jesus. And this might be a little bit too vivid, but this is something even the kids can do. What I want you to picture outside the boat in the Sea of Galilee is picture floating all around. This is going to sound a little bit weird at first, but I know I'm getting vivid on the imaginative way today. But picture this. You're rowing Jesus out from the shore of all these crowds in a boat into the Sea of Galilee. And around you is, and again, kids can do this, this sea of all the toys you really want. The things you want in life. But adults, you can picture the toys you really want, like, I don't know, a yacht or something out there floating. Um, But also picture, maybe place out there a symbol of all the cares of the world, as Jesus said. Remember, that's one of the things that can choke us. I think the cares of the world are important to put out there because, you know, I've been counseling people all week, just totally overwhelmed, losing their jobs, being in the hospital, and uh, several people on, on all these fronts. And and really the goal today, as you row Jesus out there, I want you to keep your eyes on the face of Jesus as you roll, as you row through the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Really picture these floating out there because these are the thorns. Also picture the toys you want. Even kids can do this. Um, But maybe picture out there also on, on the Sea of Galilee, all the people persecuting you. Um, pressure, as we heard today in the translation, pressure, oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress, and persecution. Also, maybe picture health problems. Been talking to a lot of people with health problems, marriage problems. Have several things floating out there physically in the water that represents that. And you're called to, for at least 15 minutes, just be face to face with Jesus with these other things floating around. Now, I know it's already too vivid with Legos and yachts and Manhattan buildings and mean bosses floating around out there in the Sea of Galilee, but I'm going to make it even more complex, but just stick with me on this in an imaginative way, because hopefully this is actually going to make it more simple. I want you to hear Jesus say, as you look at him, the end of Matthew 6, he's going to say the end of Matthew 6 to just you on this boat. What was it? We covered it in VLX maybe a few months ago, but listen again. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, so notice Jesus doesn't say, don't plan for tomorrow. But he does command, he literally commands, don't worry about tomorrow. 
Some of you may have heard that phrase, you're too busy not to exercise. Well, why do people say that? Because you'll be more productive if you exercise. It's clear. That's, that's an obvious truth. Well, the same thing is true about worry. If you're worrying, why pray? If you're praying, why worry? And I admit, I don't practice what I preach on this, so I need your prayers. But I think things are going so bad for so many people in the world right now that it would be impossible to plan for every outcome. So if we can't plan for every permutation of life, why worry? Now, I'm not saying just go be a hippie and be irresponsible with your family, but I'm saying you will actually be able to better defend your family spiritually against whatever's coming or already there if you are spiritually healthy through spiritual exercise of meditation. Just like the phrase, you're too busy not to exercise. Well, guess what? You're too busy not to meditate and be close to God, especially with all these difficulties happening all over the world and in many people's lives right now. As our Lord said, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So really, what is the goal of all this? It's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all those things you worry about are going to be added unto you. This is why we have to carve out time for prayer even when it seems everything's falling apart. This is why we actually should carve out time for physical exercise too even when we see everything falling apart because we can't afford to go into whatever we're going into without a strong heart, a strong mind, and a strong body. Please say an hour, Father, for me that I can practice what I preach Et benedictio deemne potentis, patris et et spiritus santi, descendo super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. It's got to trust in God.